This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. I wanted to start actually with the question what time is the Aisha prayer here? Just so we know what, where the. 9.15. Like was like Nihal appropriately mentioned, inshallah, the attempt is to make this some sort of a discussion. Uh, some reflections, some lessons on the ayat of uh, Surah Baha as far as we can get, inshallah ta'ala, before the Salat arrives. And uh, the idea is not really to share an academic tafsir with you, but some lessons that are drawn from uh, the comments of the scholars in the past, uh, and that the, the gems, the treasures of guidance that are embedded in these ayat, clearly we're not going to be able to do justice to the ayat, we're just going to be looking at some sprinkles of lessons uh, from any of the ayat that we start uh, talking about, and I'll uh, have uh, Shaykh Abdul Nasir, inshallah ta'ala, begin, uh, start us off with the uh, first two ayat. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. I wanted to start by congratulating Muhammad on performing Hajj. Um, if anybody's seen him recently, that's not a normal haircut. So that's not called a haircut at all. That's called a buzz cut where we're from. So. But inshallah, as Norman mentioned, inshallah, we're just going to kind of go through the ayat, discuss some of the lessons, and point out a few, inshallah, uh, points of benefit that we can, inshallah, extract here from some of the ayat. Beginning with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, begins with the huruf al-muqatta'at, of course, the disjointed letters that Allah knows best the meaning of, ta'ha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to then say, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لِتَشْقَى This is addressing the Prophet and before we actually get into the ayat, kind of an overview of Surah Taha is that Surah Taha from beginning till end is actually an address to the Prophet Now of course there's lessons that are extracted from there. Uh, by extension it addresses all of us, it addresses all of humanity. But it's a very direct dialogue between Allah and the Prophet And specifically the, the, there are two main issues at hand, or there are two main objectives uh, in terms of this, this discussion, or rather this address from Allah to the Prophet The first is the Prophet to inform the Prophet to give him a solid foundation based on, wi- based on which he can continue his mission. One thing that we'll come to discuss in greater detail as we move forward is that, of course, the mission of the Prophet ﷺ was something that is of the utmost importance, the da'wah. We summarize in one word, the da'wah, the mission that he had to convey the message of truth to all of humanity. But what's very important is da'wah needs to be informed. Da'wah needs to be solidified with a foundation. It needs to be tied down to a foundation. It's very important. Da'wah otherwise, the, just a human element. The emotions, the, the desire to want to achieve more and more. Just that natural human ambition that we all have built within us can sometimes let that da'wah spin out of control and kind of become like a kite, the string of which has been cut. It just floats off. 
and it takes on a whole nother form altogether. So da'wah needs to, is based on something. It needs to be tied down. And so this gives the Prophet ﷺ that foundation for his message, the foundation for his da'wah. First of all, by addressing him directly as we'll see in the ayat, and towards the end of the surah, once again, it engages him directly. But other than that, another very practical method of giving someone a foundation based on which they can work with is to present a precedent, to present a role model, to present a situation or someone who is worthy to be looked up to, to be emulated. You present that person, you present that situation, and somebody can base his or her efforts off of that precedent that you offer. Similarly, what we find in this surah is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents the example of Musa alayhi salam in very great detail. Very, in, very de- in a lot of detail, very extensively, the incidents occurred, that occurred with Musa salam are mentioned here in this surah. So this is the first issue at hand. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving the Prophet salam a foundation, a precedent, based on which he can proceed with his da'wah. Secondly, the second issue at hand is, this type of a mission, this type of a task, It's very difficult, obviously, as you can see, as we all know. It's a very difficult task. And it can be rather frustrating as well. Anyone who's ever worked with any level of community before can tell you for a fact that it it tends to get a little frustrating at times. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah also addresses some of the frustrations, some of the concerns of the Prophet Because at the same time, while the Prophet of Allah was an extraordinary, the most extraordinary human being to ever walk the face of this earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still instilled within him the human elements. There were emotions, there were feelings, there were, there were times of joy and happiness, there were moments of sadness and frustration and difficulty and adversity. So here in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also address some of the difficulties or the adversities that the Prophet also faced. So in the very first, in the second ayah here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ Allah did not reveal this Qur'an upon you. لِتَشْقَى So that you would be, so that you would become unfortunate. You would become, you would be, what would be a good word for? To be placed into very difficult circumstances. Very difficult circumstances. Yeah. So that you wouldn't be ruined. So you wouldn't be lost. So you wouldn't be an unfortunate human being. You know, like shakawa. What it basically means is somebody who, I don't like to use this word because it has certain uh, theological implications, but I'm using it as a figure of speech. You know when we say somebody just has a run of bad luck? Somebody just cannot catch a break? Right. So somebody who just can't catch a break, that is shaqi, that is shaqawa. Every single thing, everything goes wrong for this person, that is shaqawa. And it means that this person, that's just... The natural displacement of this person that on every, around every turn they run into trouble. So Allah is saying this was not the purpose of revealing the Qur'an upon you. So that you find adversity, so that you find difficulty. So you're constantly living in adversity. So you're constantly living in, in very difficult circumstances. That wasn't the purpose. Rather, what was the purpose? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Yeah, just about the first ayah. Uh, three things that came to my notice uh, in regards to how Allah told, talked to His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The first thing was the word ma. Uh, the word ma in Arabic, of course, it's used to negate something, but it's more particularly used to negate or to refute an idea. In other words, somebody has an idea, 
And uh, you know, there's one thing to say the Quran was not sent to put you in difficulty, to put you in, uh, in turmoil. It's another to say, no, that wasn't the reason at all. In other words, somebody has that idea, and then it's being negated. And this is what we find in the tafsir of this surah, that there were some leaders of Quraysh, they came to the Prophet and they said, look, ever since Quran came down, down to you, look at how, what, what kind of bad luck you're having. Look at what kind of trouble you got yourself into. People are making fun of you, you don't have the status in society anymore. What did this Quran ever get you? You know, so this was the kind of trash talk they were doing. And Allah comes to the defense of His Messenger and refutes that claim. Ma anzalna alaykal Quran. So that was the, the, the first thing that, that, that popped out at me was the word ma uh, that's been commented on. The second is the word alayka. Uh, because with, with the inzal, with sending down the Quran, there are two uh, prepositions that are used. There's ilayka and alayka. Right? Sent to you, and it's translated sent upon you. Right? And in English, we kind of think of the two as you know, uh, uh, interchangeable. You know, the Qur'an was sent to the Messenger, the, the Qur'an was sent upon the Messenger, what's the difference anyway? But in Arabic actually it makes a pretty big difference. The word alayka, ala, it comes, yadullu ala al-wujub, right? It, it illustrates obligation, something you have to do. So, part of the word alayka, part of the lesson in it is Allah is telling the Messenger it's not just that the Qur'an came to you, it came as a responsibility. And it's that responsibility that people are saying, man, you're just you have to carry that burden and it's put you in such difficulty. So Allah is particularly highlighting the responsibility of carrying the Qur'an. That's the second thing that, that uh, uh, stands out. And the third is the re really the connection between the first ayah and the second. Rough translation, you, you read about the first uh, part of the ayah, but the second, it was only sent as a means of delivering reminder to those who will have fear. It's a rough translation, okay? For those who will have fear, uh, as a reminder to those who will have fear. So, what's the connection between the Qur'an not being tough, not be putting the messenger in difficulty, and on the other hand, it being sent as a reminder to those who will have fear? One of the most profound commentaries I found on this was by Imam Razi, rahimahullah, who said something really, it just struck me really hard. He said that, you know, the Qur'an itself was a gift to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa and he used to actually be, he used to long for the ayat to be revealed. And when the ayat wouldn't come down, he would actually be in a state of sadness. And that's described in some places in the Qur'an. Uh, and even the Messenger ﷺ would rush to memorize the Qur'an, and he was told to calm down, like, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ So this was something that wasn't in, the Qur'an in and of itself wasn't the difficulty. He, it's an interesting comment that he made. The Qur'an in and of itself was not the difficulty. The difficulty was this amazing message that Allah has given you, when you, O Muhammad deliver it to the people, they don't accept it. They don't take it. It's something so amazing, and yet these people still don't take it. And you know the messenger, he's given so much mercy in his heart, that he wants people to accept it, because he wants to save them from the hellfire. Right? Azizun Ali. Right. Azizun Ali So subhanAllah, this, this, uh, this character of the messenger, that he just gets so grieved when people don't accept the message, it puts him in difficulty. And Allah says, no, don't put yourself in difficulty. This is only going to be beneficial reminder to who has fear. And the people who are listening to this message and they're not getting anything out of it, what's clear about them? They have no what inside. They have no fear inside, but the messenger has no way of knowing that, His only job is to remind. But he gets worried about the people, so he gets shaqawa on himself. Right, so illa tadkilatan liman yaqsha. Subhanallah. And this running theme of ben reminder will only benefit someone who has some kind of fear inside of them. It's a recurring theme in this surah.
you know, to the point where we even get to Fir'aun eventually. You, and this is the lesson to, to draw from before we get to the next ayah, inshallah, is when you try to remind someone, when you try to remind someone, you know, first of all, don't give up on them. The Messenger is told, Just you remind, your job is to deliver a reminder. You're not sent as an authority over them, you're just there to remind them. Now, who will actually benefit from the reminder? The one who has fear inside of them. That fear, if there's an ounce of fear inside a person, maybe that reminder won't help them immediately. Maybe it will take them a while before it kicks in. But what it will eventually serve to benefit, you shouldn't be depressed that somebody didn't take the benefit of your reminder. Your job is just to remind. That's the, that's the, uh, the important lesson. Let's talk now, inshallah ta'ala, uh, Shaykh Abdul Nasir about the uh, next ayah. تَنزِيلًا مِمَّنْ خَلَقَ الْأَرْضَ وَالسَّمَوَاتِ الْعُلَىٰ And tying it together with this argument that Allah Azza wa Jal is uh, presenting. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, and you can take on from there, inshallah, is that uh, you know the people who don't accept this message, I talk about this often, da'wah, sometimes it feels like sales. You know, you're trying to convince somebody of the message, and so they're the customer and you're the salesman, right? But you know who's in power when, in, in sales? Who's got the control, the customer or the salesman? The customer's got the power. He says, oh, I don't know, I want a discount. I don't know, I saw a better price over there, you know? So the customer feels like he can haggle with the salesman. This is exactly what the kuffar felt about the messenger, sallallahu they saw that he's so desperate to deliver the message. You ever seen a desperate salesman? Right? When you see a desperate salesman, what do you feel like you can do now? You can squeeze him a little more, get more out of him, you know? Press him a little and embarrass him even. You could do that. So, you know, they felt, what do you know? They, 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 they felt maybe you give a little, we'll give a little. And Allah is telling them, no, no, no. This is not something to be compromised. And his desperation is only because he's worried about you. And what he's trying to give you is not some small thing that he's trying to sell you. This is coming from way above. You know, this is coming from the one, it's being sent down from the one who created the earth and the highest skies. So who do you think you are thinking you can bargain? And you can talk like this about this revelation. So they're being put in their place by the next ayah of the status of this revelation and the nobility of this dawah. You could take from there. You know, talking about the desperation of the Prophet it, it was something that, honestly, I, 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 I personally feel that people, um, especially in our times, are not able to comprehend, they don't really realize how concerned the Prophet was. Because it's something that we really haven't seen. We, this is something, it was unnatural. His level of concern for humanity was unnatural. Even the ayat of the Qur'an, very powerful. لَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُونَ نَفْسَكَ I mean, in one place in the Qur'an, Allah is telling the Prophet ﷺ, وَرَبَّكَ فَكَبِّرْ And He's telling him in the Qur'an, بَلِّغْ مَا أُنْجِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ Convey the message, proclaim the greatness of your Lord. He's obligating him, you have to do it. But on the other hand, think about it, that same Allah is also then consoling the Prophet ﷺ, telling him to take it easy. لَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُونَ You will kill yourself. You'll destroy yourself. Take it easy. I mean, it's amazing. He was so dedicated that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is saying, that's enough, easy now. Think about that level of dedication. It's unbelievable. Harisun alaykum. Like he's just constantly just worrying about you, Allah. The hadith of the Prophet the, uh, in the Shama'il, it mentions about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, da'im al-fikrah. Constantly concerned. 
Mutawasil al Constantly grieving over people's situations. Laysa lahu raha. Never had a moment of rest. In, in a hadith of Prophet ﷺ, he elucidates, he, he explains how he himself felt about trying to talk to people, convey the message. That same salesman analogy, but how concerned he was, how desperate he was that people need to realize this truth. He says, مَثَلِي وَمَثَلُكُمْ He says, my example and your example, كَرَجُلٍ أَوْ قَدْنَارًا It's like a man who lit a huge fire. فَجَعَلَ الْجَنَادِ وَالْفَرَاشِ يَقَعْنَ فِيهَا the little insects, you ever seen the fire or the bulb, the light bulb outside? All the little mosquitoes and the insects, they, they fly towards it. So all the little insects, they start to fall into the fire. And the Prophet ﷺ says, that's the example of you. That this huge fire is burning and raging the fire of hell. And everybody, all of humanity is rushing towards that. And he says, He said, I'm trying to grab you from the back of your, from, from behind. I'm trying to grab last hand, just place it on you. But the Prophet ﷺ said, وَأَنْتُمْ تَفْلِتُونَ مِنْ يَدِي But you're slipping right through my fingers. Even the way he says it, تَفْلِتُونَ مِنْ يَدِي You're slipping right out of my hands. And he's crying while he's saying this. I mean, the, death, the, the concern of the Prophet ﷺ was unbelievable. We have not seen that level of dedication. And so exactly this is what the, these ayat are talking about, this is how the Prophet ﷺ is being consoled. And this is the extended message to the rest of humanity, that this man's concern is, the, is what makes this man so absolutely amazing. But realize, he's not desperate because, you know, he's got a broken product and he needs to get rid of it, and he's losing money by the day. No, no, no. But this is absolutely amazing. This is being revealed, being sent down from Allah, who created the earth, who created the highest of the skies. The highest of the skies. So high you can't even see. So things that you see, the ground in front of you, and those things that you don't even see, the highest of the heavens and the skies, He created everything. He's the one sending you this down. So once again, like, like Brother Norman mentioned, don't judge the product based on the desperation of this salesman. Because you'll be doing a disservice to yourself, not to him, you don't harm him. You don't hurt him. You only harm and hurt yourself. So Allah says, the samawati ula, the highest skies, but then what could be higher than that? Ar-Rahman wa'ala al-Arshistawa. The very next ayah. says, I mean, imagine the height of the skies. It's something that's baffled humanity even now, especially in our times, you know, with astronomy and whatnot, right? The, the, the expanse of the universe. And Allah says, as enormous as the sky is, this message comes from the one, not, not only the one who created it, but the one who's even above that, Ar-Rahman, ala that rose above his throne, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, you know, the idea of uh, uh, ownership, the idea of ownership. Superiority kingship is one thing, and then to have that complete ownership. It's a whole other element to the grandeur of Allah. Everything is owned. The ownership of Allah talked about. Then the, the knowledge of Allah talked about. You know what people will say, if you say something out loud, and this is something Shaykh Abdul Nasir shared beautifully, I want you to repeat it actually. I think it's best said by you. Then he knows, the rough translation is, he knows the secret and that which is even more hidden. So what is it? I mean, secrets are already hidden, right? So what's the difference? Secret and even more hidden. What's the lesson here? I want you to share that thought with me, inshallah. There are two different words used here in the Arabic language. Sir and Akhfa, which comes from Khufya, Khafi, 
so they both, we in English, like you mentioned before, in English we'll just translate them as secret and hidden, and it's like, what's the, okay, same thing, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, right? But it's not that. It's two different words, sim and akhfa. What the difference is that in the Arabic language, you know, when you say secret, like when you share a secret with someone, like I told Norman that, you know, I told him a secret, like uh, there's going to be ice cream served after the lecture tonight here. I thought it was like, how about ice cream for everybody? Delivered in a Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> the shot was coming. So, you have to get me back for the Hajj comment. So, sin is like when you share a secret with somebody, you tell the person. Khufya or khafi is something. So think about a secret that you share with somebody. To share a secret with somebody, don't you have to at least speak it? You, you must have said it, you, you verbalized it. Fine, you didn't say it loudly, you said it in a corner, you said it in his ear, you cupped your hand around your mouth, you took all these precautions to make sure he was the only one who heard it, but you said it, you verbalized it, you spoke it. Khufya or khafi is that thing which you haven't even verbalized, which is still in here, which is still in here. So think about that, Allah says that Allah alone is the one who knows the secret I mean, the thing that you might have spoken, but very quietly, secretly you spoken. Okay, that's understandable. At least I said it. At least I spoke it. It became something. But Allah says, Wa But even those things that are rolling around in your head, that are rolling around in your heart, the thing that you're sitting there, you're just thinking it to yourself, how confident do you feel? Nobody knows anything about what I'm thinking right now. So I could be sitting there thinking, man, mashallah, his haircut is awesome. So I'm thinking that inside. And I won't say it because I already made fun of his haircut, so why would I say it? Alright, this is going to be a recurring theme as well through tonight. So, I didn't say it out loud, I'm just thinking it inside. But Allah says Allah even knows that which is hidden inside of him. Now, you know, uh, in the introduction, uh, which Alhamdulillah Nasser was talking about the foundation for da'wah, mm. setting the right foundation, you notice something. This uh, beginning passage, which is a conversation between Allah and the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa is Allah telling the Messenger what the purpose of the Qur'an is, is to deliver a reminder. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of the ayat are entirely about Allah Himself. Absolutely. They're entirely about Allah, what He owns, what He knows, and it concludes, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa, which is the foundation of everything, right? La ilaha illallah, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa, lahu al-asma'ul He owns the most beautiful of names exclusively. Now, this entire passage is what we wanted to make sure folks in our audience today understand. Mm -hmm. The foundation of da'wah is first getting to know Allah well yourself. Absolutely. Allah is, even in the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who is most aware of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, when he's being trained for da'wah, the first thing Allah does is thoroughly reintroduces himself. Thoroughly reintroduces himself. And as we go now, when Allah says, وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ Musa, Didn't you hear about the news of Musa? No, the word hadith is really interesting, different from daba, different from other words. The word hadith actually, is, it's, in, in Arabic is used for something new. And you know when you hear something that you already heard before, but you hear it another time, you're like, man, it's like I've never heard that before. Right? So the, the messenger is going to be reminded, sallallahu alayhi wa of the legacy of Musa alayhi in a way that will make him feel like this is the first time he's hearing. It's going to be something that refreshes him altogether. And this is the, in the word hadith. وَحَلَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ Musa. Didn't you hear about the, the news of Musa? And this is fresh news of Musa salam. And now notice, you know, the, you all know the story. He saw a fire. He saw a fire above on a hill, right? Who was he with? Do you remember? 
was with his family, right? إِذْ قَالَ لِأَهْلِهِ When he said to his family, وَمْكُثُوا You stay here. إِنِّي أَنَسْتُ نَارًا It is I who sees a fire, no doubt. The language is really amazing, you know why? Because إِنِّي أَنَسْتُ نَارًا implies nobody else could see the fire. If you say أَنَسْتُ نَارًا Just أَنَسْتُ I saw, I, I saw a flame. Then what it means is I saw it and there's a possibility that others may have seen it too. But if you say إِنِّي أَنَسْتُ نَارًا When you say it like that in the Arabic, then you know what it does? It, it, it creates exclusivity, right, exactly. In other words, nobody could see that fire except Salam. He didn't even say to his family, hey, do you see that? I'm gonna go over there. He didn't say that, he said, only I see it. And you know why that's important? That fire was designed for who to see? Musa Musa If anybody else sees a fire in the middle of the desert, what are they gonna do? They're gonna go towards it. But the only one who's supposed to go there is Musa Musa So in the, look at the perfection of Allah's words. Inni anastunala. In other words, the, what the messenger is being taught. By the way, remember, even though Allah is talking about Musa, who is he talking to actually? The Prophet So he's being told that this journey you took, only you could have taken. Nobody else could have taken that journey. This was only, that journey was entirely for you. And whatever stops you had in this journey so far, were all pre-planned. They were all part of the plan. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Musa So he gets there. He gets there to the, you know, when he arrives finally, and Alamma actually indicates it took a while to get there. <laughs> it took a while to get there. And when he finally gets there, what is he? Nudia, a call is made. He hears, Ya Musa. Imagine you go somewhere strange, the first thing you hear, your name. In the middle of the desert. And then, where did that come from? Who's there? Inni anarabbuk. It is no doubt I, I, your master. Fakhla'na alayk, take your shoes off. You're in the sacred valley of Tuwa. Can you imagine this scene? It's incredible to think, you know. And by the way, is there a similar incident in the life of the Prophet Is he going up a hill somewhere? Is he in some place and all of a sudden he gets introduced? What am I talking about? The Messenger is listening to the legacy of Musa, but who is he thinking about? His own legacy, his own beginning. So Allah introduces Himself, and by the way, when Allah introduced Himself to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, you remember the ayah? What's the ayah? Iqra bismillah or no? Iqra bismi. Rabbi kalladhi khalaq. Rabb. He introduced Himself as Rabb. When He introduces Himself to Musa alaihi wasallam, what does He say? Inni ana Rabbuk. Same introduction. Rabb first. Understand this first. First, we learned an introduction to Allah, and the next most important lesson to learn. That you are Abd and Allah is Rabb. You are the slave and He is the master. That's the first lesson. And as master, He has authority. He shows His authority. Take your shoes off. You know, command. Immediately command. Was the messenger also given a command in the beginning? What was the command? Read. Command from the very beginning. To acknowledge the authority. SubhanAllah. And then let's talk about the next, just most remarkable ayah. You talk about it. Yes. Can you elaborate on the word rub? Because I've seen it translated as provider or sustainer, as something other than master. Not other than, but you know, in addition to. Yeah, we have a. I think we both have conversations about the word rub in our courses, <laughs> but um, just roughly, uh, the word rub. You know, the easiest way to approach this topic to keep the conversation going, inshallah, is to say by opposites things are known. This is a principle in English and in any language, and of course in Arabic also. Things are known by their opposites, right? By opposites things are known. Now in Arabic, the opposite of Rabb is Abd. 
the, the antonym, the opposite of master is slave. In other words, now that we know Abd is slave, the core meaning of Rabb is actually master. Now it has other meanings tied to it, you can call them auxiliary meanings, additional meanings. But that doesn't take away from the core meaning. Now what are the additional meanings? Like, you know, the Sahara Arab and other lexicons will tell you Al-Malik, Wal-Sayyid, Wal-Murabbi, Wal-Mun'im, Wal-Qayyim. These are the additional meanings. In addition to what? Master. Now, in addition, just briefly, Malik means owner. Malik means owner. So that's part of the meaning of Rabb. You can, in Arabic literature, you can say Rabbul Bayt, right? Which means owner of the house, right? Now, but you know, uh, not every owner has complete authority. Like, for example, we own our homes. Can we make any modification we want in our home? Or are we under some other authority that tells us what we can do? You own your car, can you do whatever modifications you want to your car? Do you have to follow certain guidelines? In other words, you have ownership, but what's missing? Authority. You don't have authority. But a Rabb is someone who is Malik and Sayyid. So he has ownership and has authority. They're both combined together. Which is not the case with us. Not, not most of the time. Then on top of that, Al-Murabbi, the one who ensures its growth. Do you own something you don't take care of? Does that ever happen? If you have something, you don't take care of it. Happens all the time, right? Um, like hair, right? Okay, so, so, but the point is, you know, uh, Murabbi ensures, not only does he own it, not only does he have authority, but he also takes care of it, ensures its growth. That's why terms like sustainer and provider, this is where they come from. Then well, Qayyim. Qayyim implies if he stops taking care of it, it won't even exist. So much so, it's so dependent on him, it can't even exist without it. So these are some additional meanings of Rabb. Let's move on, inshallah. So you were going to talk about the next ayah. So the next ayah, as he mentioned, that, and I talked about in the very beginning, one of the bases of the surah is to talk about this very essential topic of da'wah. And it, it gives us a foundation for da'wah. So the very first thing we saw was that the Dawah revolves around the core of the dawah, the beginning of the dawah, the majority of our dawah needs to be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَنْ دَعَى إِلَى اللَّهِ That needs to be the focal point of our dawah all the time. Whether it's within the Muslim community or in the non-Muslim community. It does not matter. Our dawah must revolve around the concept of reminding to Allah for the sake of Allah. Simply put. And the second we start inviting to something other than Allah, we have a problem on our hands. And this was very, this was instilled within the Anbiya from the very beginning. The prophets, this is this was the very first initial instruction to them. So that's why you saw this occurring in this manner. The second thing, as he mentioned, and we're going to see this with Musa salam right now, is that, like I mentioned, dawah needs our dawah needs a foundation, and the foundation is, like he mentioned. Familiarity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Knowing what you're talking about. Now that we know what you're inviting to Allah, you have to be familiar with Allah. You have to know who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Now in the next ayah, which is ayah number 13, we actually see some very other essential, or rather necessities of successful da'wah. وَأَنَخْتَرْتُكْ This is the second thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I most definitely have chosen you. And I... And only I have chosen you. Once again, that exclusivity is there because the repetition of the dhamma, it is there. وَأَنَخْتَرْتُكْ I and only I have chosen you. So this is the second thing. Realizing when a person engages in da'wah and a person is carrying the message, realizing this is a higher calling. Da'wah should never be looked at 
as something frivolous, something small, what you do on the side, if you get some time, sure, if you don't get some time, it's a burden, it's a problem, it's a... No, 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 no. Da'wah is how we identify. Look what he's being told. And I and only I have chosen for this da'wah, for this mission, for the spreading of Allah's word. So this is a very amazing, this is a higher calling. This is a very high selection. This is the highest of selection that anyone can be given. So as he mentioned, so the next thing that needs to be there now, listen very, very attentively and carefully. Pay full attention. Pay full attention. Because this is a a, a sophisticated or exaggerated form of the verb. To listen. So pay full attention to that which is being revealed. What is being revealed everyone in our case? Or in the case of the Prophet The Qur'an. This is the other thing. The da'i needs to be connected to the Qur'an. The da'i needs to be listening to the Qur'an. He needs to be reading the Qur'an. He needs to be studying the Qur'an. He needs to be thinking about the Qur'an. He needs to be talking about the Qur'an. He needs to be intimately connected with the Book of Allah. With the Kalam of Allah. If he's not, the da'wah will once again spin out of control. It's what keeps us grounded. It's what keeps us focused. You know, there's a a beautiful subtlety in this ayah uh, that I, I... I know we're overlooking a lot of things, but I just I can't help myself but share this one. Uh, in Arabic, it's commonly translated as choosing. Uh, in Arabic also there's ijtiba, istifa, ikhtiyar, right? Uh, and then later on, uh, so there are different words used for choosing. The word ikhtiyar comes from khayr. It comes from khayr. You know what khayr means? Good. Good. Allah chose His Messenger Musa in this case, and of course in our case, Rasulullah used the word ikhtiyar implying, I see something good in you, that's why I'm choosing Ikhtiyar is to make a choice based on the good you find in that choice. That's what that means. You know why that's important? What did the people around them? The people around them, as soon as they declare that they are messengers, they start criticizing them. And they start pointing flaws in them, and start using the nastiest language with them. And Allah says, you don't have to worry about them. Who sees good in you? I do. You don't have to worry about anybody else now. You have to not concern yourself with anyone. So on the one hand, there's the concern for the other, which was in the beginning. Tashqa is the messenger's concern, for others. But now, there's the attack on himself. And you know it's not, it's human. Like we said, there's the human element in the personality of every messenger, because they're human beings. When everybody's calling you crazy, when everybody calls you a liar, when everybody calls you, you know, a troublemaker, is it possible the thought might cross your mind, maybe they're onto something? You know how they define abnormal psychology in society nowadays, in, in, in modern psychology? They say when you do something against the majority, you're considered abnormal, it's considered abnormal behavior. That's by definition every messenger. Every messenger did something against who? The majority. Now in your school, the majority of people call you crazy. The majority, they call you crazy. You have to now, you know, you start getting depressed. Man, they all think I'm weird, I'm crazy, or whatever, you know? And somebody has to come and tell you, no, you're not. You're okay. And somebody tells you, you're evil, you're bad, you're this, you're that, the other. And somebody has to come in. Oh, so who's coming to the aid of the messenger? Allah Azza wa Jal says, Ana and you know, this is why, you know, in the last ayah of Baqarah, which is a great ayah of Ayat al-Iman, Allah didn't just say, Amana, you know, uh, Amana al-Mu'minun. He says, Amana al-Rasulu. Bima unzila ilayhi wal 
mu'minun. The messenger's iman is also important. His iman gets challenged too by the, the constant, you know, uh, the, the talk of the people. So the second, the, the, the more important lesson though, that should never be overlooked. When the messengers are chosen for da'wah, what is the, the vehicle by which they make da'wah? They have to listen to the revelation carefully so they can deliver it carefully. And that's what's missing today in our da'wah. Our da'wah is Qur'an free. Our da'wah has become Qur'an free. You know, we, we, we don't invite people to Allah's book. We invite people to ideas and presentations that we've kind of organized ourselves. But the Qur'an is meant to be da'wah itself. You know, what that can be, you know, remind, what that can do, what that can do, remind with the Qur'an, the one who fears the promise, subhanAllah. So now, uh, this one, I'm going to talk about this one a little bit, and then you go until Salah, inshallah. This is the one that really gets me. Have you ever met a celebrity? Like a really famous person? And you meet them, and you say, man, I can't believe I got to meet that person. You know, people do, non-Muslims do, this is not a Muslim thing, this is a non-Muslim thing too. You meet someone famous, a politician, you know, a, a TV celebrity or a scholar or whoever, and you meet them and you're so amazed, and maybe they have lunch with you or they talk to you, or you got, took a picture with them or something, and you just get, you know who I just talked to, you start twittering it and texting it, you know who I'm with right now? You know? Because it's a big deal when you're with someone important or famous or something like that. And even from old times, whenever you introduce yourself to someone or talk, you know one time, you know who I met? Meaning it becomes a burning memory in your mind that you met someone famous, you talked to someone important. Even today, you, if you meet someone important and there's a picture of it, you know what people do with that picture? They frame it in their house. Oh my God, you even shook hands with the president? You did that? You did this? You understand what I'm talking about? Now who is Musa Alayhi talking to? Who's he meeting? Who's he meeting? Allah Azza wa He's talking to Allah. Do you think he will ever forget? Is that possible? When you and I meet a famous human being, we never forget. Who is he conversing with? Allah Azza wa There's no way he will ever forget. And even he is told, وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ ذِكْرِ You establish salah so you can really remember me. In other words, even he who will never forget Allah Azza wa even he can only truly remember Allah by what? By salah. This is da'wah training. How much do we remember Allah in salah? How much of our salat is actually dhikr? How much of it is actually dhikr? This, this is that, you know, subhanAllah. Illa qaleel. They, you know, they, 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 they pray, they show off to people the hypocrites, and they don't remember Allah except a little. Meaning they do pray, but their prayers are empty from remembering Allah. Remembering Allah. So he introduces himself. Innani an Allah, la ilaha illa ana, fa'budni. Now look at all of these things. La ilaha illallah, of course, the fundamental, introducing himself. Then fa'budni, enslave yourself to me. In other words, accept me as master, accept yourself as slave. And part of being a slave of Allah and part of worshipping Allah is making salah. That's part of it. And you know, part of it is zakah, part of it is other things. But which one did he separate from ibadah and say, especially mention it anyway? Even though aqimis salata lidikri is part of what already? If you're Allah's slave, then salat comes with it, it's part of the package. But Allah highlights it particularly. Again, if you understand, the, the message of the surah is training for a da'i. If this is training for the messenger of Allah how much more is it a training for us? You know, we get the youth, especially guys, we get caught up in speeches, 
and giving talks and halaqat and pounding the podium and quoting ayat and a hadith and you know mimicking speakers even and you know we get caught up in the stuff but you know what's missing? Remembering Allah and Salah. What foundation did Allah's Messenger, how, what, what foundation is He being given first, you know? And where do we stand in comparison? This is a really powerful reality check that's being delivered to us. Take it away, Shaykh. So, and as Brother Norman mentioned, and we were talking about the foundation for da'wah, for delivering the message, and the foundation for the da'i, the training for the da'i. So as you mentioned, the first thing is that realization, I and only I am Allah, Allah says. La ilaha illa ana. There is absolutely nothing or no one worthy of worship except for me, Allah says. Fa'abudini. So enslave yourself to me. As he mentioned, enslave, the relationship there is the master and the slave, meaning total obedience, complete obedience. That's it. That is the, the mission statement of the believer and especially of the diary. The, you know, this is, this is a very important point to understand here. Because the da'i who's delivering the message verbally, now Allah is saying, now enslave yourself to me. Now come into complete submission. That's the synchronization of what's being said and how that person is living his life. And the effectiveness of da'wah comes from how you live your life. Rhetoric only gets you so far. Screaming and yelling gets you so far. Fancy vocabulary gets you so far. It's the way you live your life, which is the essence of a person's da'wah. How you carry yourself. If I give a, I'll ask everybody a question. If I give a lecture about akhlaq, and then I get up from here, and I call somebody stupid, what do you go home with the impression of? That was pointless. This guy talked about akhlaq and slapped somebody then. You know, why would I listen to this guy about akhlaq? So it's very important to embody the message. فَعْبُدْنِي So enslave yourself to me وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِي And then establish the salah, the prayer, for the sake of my remembrance. So as Norman mentioned, that's a very, very important point. And another thing I want to mention about this connection between salah and dhikr. Why does Allah say establish salah as my remembrance? And uses the word dhikr as well. There's a correlation, there's a connection between the word salah and dhikr. We obviously know because Allah has dhikr in it, but there's something else. What does Allah tell us about dhikr in another place in the Quran? الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا Standing up. وَقُعُودًا Sitting down. وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ And on their sides, lying down. Think about salah now. How do, we, how do we perform salah? What do we do in salah? We stand. What if I break my leg and I can't stand? Then what do I, I don't pray salah anymore? How do I pray then everybody? Sitting down. What if somebody is paralyzed or laying in bed in the hospital, they can't even sit up to pray. Do they still perform salah? How do they pray? Lying down. Dhikr applies in all times, in all situations of life. Salah is no different. The one committed to the message of Allah, the one committed to delivering the message, spreading the message of Allah, is somebody who's committed to his salah. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu has been stabbed. He has an open wound in his stomach. He's lying, he's fading in and out of consciousness. The t- he hears the adhan being called, he tries to get up, they say, what are you doing? You have a hole in your stomach. What are you doing? He says, I have to perform salah. He says, look at you. You're bleeding out right now, you're dying. What do you mean you have to go perform salah? He says, I remember the Messenger of Allah sallallahu telling me, one who doesn't perform salah has nothing of the deen in his life. No salah, no deen. 
I have to go pray. No choice. The Prophet ﷺ, in the last few days of his life, you had ibn ithnayn. You know, he, you know, like when somebody can't walk on their own, they put their arms around two people's shoulders and you kind of carry him. The Prophet ﷺ would go for salah like that, and the Prophet ﷺ, they would say about him, it's mentioned in the hadith of Shama'il, when he would stand in a group of people, he was a little bit taller than everybody else. He wasn't like really awkwardly tall, he wasn't like, a, was like seven feet tall or something. But he was just a little bit taller when he would be standing in a group. So because they were carrying him on their shoulders, the hadith actually mentions that his feet were dragging on the ground behind him. But he still went for salah like that. So the person's committed to his salah. وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do one more thing before we jump to the end. Okay. Uh, so, the importance of salah. What's the urgency? Why should, you know, you're told to do something a lot of times, but you don't rush to it. You know, you, uh, and this is a common thing. When you're told something good, you say, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. Sure. You know, I really should do that next semester. You know? Or as soon as I graduate, or as soon as this, as soon as that. Allah says, inna sa'ata atiyatun. The hour has is pretty much arrived. It's on its way. It's right there. He used the more immediate form of the sentence, the ismiya form. It's just the, around the corner. And the preparation for it is in the ayah before as what? La ilaha illa ana fa'budni wa salata li dhikri. If you want to be ready for the hour that's coming. And the only reason you don't see the, end, the urgency of it, akadu ukhbiha. I'm almost hiding it. He didn't say I'm completely hiding it, he said I'm almost hiding it, meaning there will be signs of the hour coming. Right? And the, the signs are described by the Prophet. So Allah didn't say I completely hit it. I'm giving you some signs. And the more signs you see, what should increase? Your preparation. Your salat should increase. Your dhikr should increase. That's what should, what's supposed to happen. So he says, لِتُجْزَى كُلُّ نَفْسِ بِمَا and so I'm almost hiding it so that every person can be given what they aspire, what, what they made effort towards. And this is the final point I want to make for you guys, inshallah. I met this brother two, uh, yesterday, ironically. Pulls me over, he says, Brother, I saw, I saw this video on YouTube and uh, I'm just really paranoid that the Dajjal is coming and uh, you know, all the signs have been fulfilled. Have you seen the dollar bill? It's got one eye on it. And then he gives he give the whole nine yards, right? I was like, yeah, I, and, I, and I just, my, my eyes bugged out, I was like, what are we going to do? <laughs> he, he gives me this whole thing about the Freemasons taking over, and you know, the signs of the hour being established, and you know, uh, this and that, everything's coming together, brother, you know, and, and this big, big, you know, uh, uh, troubles on the horizon, and the job is already here, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, you know what? What should we do? What should we do? I, go, I, I don't know, I think we should leave the country. <laughs> I was like, how, how about we should make salat? <laughs> how would we, you know? Allah is telling us the hour is arriving. You should get ready. How should you get ready? <laughs> Be Allah's slave and make salat. Make proper salat. There's nothing that will prepare you better for the challenges that are ahead of you than the prayer. Allah is talking about prayer in the battlefield. Allah is talking about prayer in every circumstance, subhanAllah. This is something to be taken very, very, very seriously. You know, I didn't even plan it to be this way, but man, this is turning out to be a really strong pitch for you guys to attend meaningful prayer. And I really hope you do, inshallah ta'ala. Anyhow, let's, uh, you want to go something to later on in the surah? So, 
before we wrap up? Basically all the way to the very end, the very last page of the surah, ayah number 132. Since we are focusing on the topic of salah, at the end of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes back to the topic of salah as well. And especially because this is somewhat of a family environment, there are families here, it's very important to understand this, that once again, that message of da'wah comes again. But subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one aspect of da'wah, which is the most important, but also the most easily overlooked. How common is it, once again, I'll kind of use the example of that, that brother that Brother Oman mentioned about, that that brother who you know is giving the khutbahs and giving the halaqahs and giving the lectures and he's going around and he's doing the qiyam and he's doing this and he's doing that but what does he ever sit down with his own younger brother younger sister does he ever sit down at home himself you know the da'i who's going around talking to everybody what about his own wife and kids the sisters who are attending the quran study circles for 20 years now and mashallah have a very thorough understanding of a lot of the Qur'an. What about, what do they share out of that at home with their own families, with their sisters and their friends and their cousins and their own relatives? So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of our first and foremost obligation. And also once again, teaches us a very important lesson about fulfilling that obligation as well. Allah says, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَةِ Speaks directly to the Prophet ﷺ and commands him, What more? You tell your family. Think about this for a second, okay? The Prophet ﷺ is preaching to all of humanity. He's concerned with everybody. All of humanity, all of mankind. But Allah ﷻ doesn't allow him then to outsource the da'wah or the education of his own family. He says, No, no, no. The Prophet could have been like, okay, listen, since I'm taking care of everybody, how about somebody takes care of my family? Make sense? No. You tell your family to pray. You tell your family to pray. That's your job. You don't get to outsource that. And this is something I, I, I've, I've served as the imam of a community. And in communities you have families, and it's a very common predicament. We outsource the Islamic, the basic Islamic education of our children to other people. We outsource it. You know, the Qadi Saab, the Mulbi Saab, the Imam Saab, the Sheikh Saab, whoever it is. He'll teach my kids Alif Batata, he'll teach my kids how to pray. And it's become a whole industry. But rather, we ourselves are responsible for teaching our kids the basis of the deen. When you are not the first. Force, uh, first level of education for your children, when you do not establish yourself as an educator for your own children, later on in life, when they become teenagers, now you want to start imparting Islamic advice or telling them what to do, they don't listen. Then you come to the imam frustrated, my son doesn't listen, my daughter doesn't listen, my kids don't want to listen. Well, because you were never the, you never established yourself as their religious, dini educator in their life. You were their parent. So when they still need to buy clothes, they come to you. When they're hungry, they come to you. When they get hurt, they come to you. When they want to talk about something, they come to you. Religious knowledge or advice, no thank you, I will get that from somebody else. You establish that precedent, you establish that relationship. So Allah tells the Prophet somewhere, what You tell your family to pray. Now, how will you be effective in commanding your family to pray? Was tabir alayha. Was tabir. Once again, this word is tabir. 
this is an exaggerated form of the word sabr. And the word sabr literally means to tie something down. To tie up something. Wastabir, you be very extremely regular and particular alayha upon it. On top of it. You be very watchful over your prayer. You be very regular about your prayer. You be very punctual about your prayer. That's how it'll be effective when you tell your kids how to pray. And when you tell your kids to pray. That's when and how it'll be effective. This is one little humble piece of advice that I often give to families. Is that, you know in the masjid the time for iqamah is fixed. 9.15 Salat al-Isha, 9.15 Salat al-Isha. Even if the imam doesn't show up, 9.15 Salat al-Isha. We have to pray, that for brother time is fixed. But at home, do we have time fixed? We know Isha time starts, or I'll give the example of Dhuhr. We know Dhuhr time starts at 12.30, and Asr time comes in at 4 o'clock. So we know we have like this three and a half hour window. And we'll pray whenever we get around to it. Right now it's lunch, right now it's food, right now the phone, right now the email, right now the kids game. And we just kind of, whenever somebody gets time, wherever they get time, they just hurry up and quickly pray. We need to, prayer time should be fixed at home. What did the Prophet ﷺ tell us? One of the most beloved acts to Allah is a salatu ala awali waqtiha. As soon as the time for salah comes in. If you want your children to learn how to pray, have your son call the adhan at home. When the time for adhan comes. Go, everybody make wudu. Everybody get together in the living room, or whatever the room, where you have enough room for everybody to pray. And everybody line up and perform salah. If the husband is home, the father is home, the son is old enough, lead the congregation. Pray in jama'ah. Time for salah at home needs to be fixed. If you want your children to learn how to pray. When we show them a lackadaisical attitude about salah, then that's what they learn. So this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet You command your family to pray, and you be very extremely regular and particular about it. No, I am completely uh, overwhelmed. So I'm going to, inshallah ta'ala, and plus salah time is coming, salat is coming. So let's inshallah ta'ala take a, a break now. Jazakumullah for all of you for listening. I hope this was of some benefit to you. May Allah Azza wa Jal enlighten our hearts with the reminder of the Qur'an and take the good of what was said and enter it into our hearts and have it implemented in our lives. And anything that was said that is incorrect or, uh, or untrue, may Allah remove it from our hearts and may Allah forgive us for any mistakes that we make. Barakallahu wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil-ayati wa lakum fil-Hakim wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.